You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking About podcast. Since last week's episode, the Sixers had a good week. They went 3-0 with wins over the Spurs, Pelicans, and the LeBronless Lakers. Uh, but we're going to zoom out a little bit and talk about the bigger picture because we're just uh, about two weeks from the tr- NBA trade deadline. And uh, one of the big stories surrounding that is what's going to happen with Ben Simmons and a lot of reports lately about will Daryl Morey bypass the deadline and hold on to Ben Simmons into the summer and possibly do a some sort of sign and trade for the Brooklyn's James Harden. So I wanted to have back on the podcast to talk about that and all other issues. Brian Deporic, you may know him from Bleacher Report, Forbes Fan Sided, and he's the co-host of the NBA podcast. Brian, thanks for coming on back on the show. How are you doing? For sure. I'm doing well, Sean. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, uh, glad to have you. And one of the the main reasons I wanted to have you was this week, especially, was because you wrote a great piece for Forbes detailing the James Harden Sixers rumors and uh, what would make sense financially between the two parties. And you really went in depth on why an opt-in in trade would work uh, especially well for, for both sides. Could you just kind of, for people that haven't had a chance to read that yet, lay out the, the big picture and, and why that makes a lot of sense for both the Sixers and for James Harden to do? Yeah, for sure. So I originally wrote a piece last week, actually, about know how a sign in trade would work and because i i mostly this was like before you know the shams report came out and keith's report came out on monday and jake fisher's report came out on tuesday um but jake you know shout out to him he actually mentioned this as a possibility back in like mid-december and that's what got my brain turning a little bit and then you know with all this tobias harris being in the ben simmons trade rumors as well I wanted to first just like break down the finances of do they need to move off of Tobias Harris to squeeze James Harden in if it's a sign of trade? And the answer is no. Which is good for six. That's what they wanted to hear. I think. Right. Right. And that's subject to change. Now this is all assuming, you know, right now the salary cap is projected for next season to be at 119 million. So if the Sixers are going the sign and trade route with Harden, the number to keep in mind is 151.6 or a little bit under that, but that's going to be the luxury tax apron. If you do a sign and trade, you cannot cross that line at any point next year. So they can get Harden via sign and trade and still have Tobias, still have Joel and fit under that apron, but it would require sending Ben out. You know, he's going to be the big part of the matching salary for Harden they would either have to waive Danny Green, who has got a $10 million non-guaranteed salary for next year, or they could include him to Brooklyn if, or elsewhere, whatever. Um, and then Furkan Korkmaz would also need to go out. He's about $5 million next year. Um, they do that. 
you sign three guys to minimum contract and you have $200,000 of breathing room or even, even less than that. So it, you are really threading the needle here if you go the sign-in trade route. If you do an opt-in and trade, they aren't subject to the hard cap. They are not, they don't have to worry about the $151.6 million. Uh, you know, they can exceed that. They could use their taxpayer mid-level exception, which will be projected to be 6.2 million next year. They couldn't do that if the sign and trade, because again, they, you know, they just wouldn't have the room to do so. So from the Sixers side, they should definitely prefer James Harden picks up his player option next year. It's $47.4 million. Um, and then agrees to force a trade to the Sixers six months afterward, he's eligible to sign the same extension he can with Brooklyn, you know, July 1st, it's four years, 223 million. So he It'd be a five-year, $270 million max deal for James Harden if he goes that route. Um, and it's actually beneficial for him too, because if he opts out, uh, the most he can make as a starting salary is about $46.5 million. That's just 105% of his salary this year. If he picks up the player option again, it's about $47.4 million. It's slightly higher. And then you can get 8% raises annual raises over that amount. So long story short, he earns 5 million more via opting in and signing an extension than he does becoming a free agent and then signing either a five-year deal with Brooklyn or you know he, he can get a four-year $200.1 million deal with the Sixers by a sign and trade. But you know, from Harden's perspective too, you got to think like 2025, 2026 will be he'll be going into his age 37 season. So if he does a sign and trade, he can only do a four-year deal. Is someone going to really pay him $60 million going into his age 37 season? Probably not. So he like he's going to want that five-year deal right now. Uh, it's just figuring out the best way for him to do it and deciding, you know, do I want to stay in Brooklyn or do I want to go elsewhere? Uh, yeah, that's the big question. And you you mentioned it in passing, but Jake Fisher for Bleacher Report had the report earlier this week that Harden has informed some people close to him that he is interested in exploring other opportunities this summer. It seems like he's never really had a true free agency. He, he wants to kind of see how that plays out. And while it's not a situation where teams with cap space are going to be able to sign him outright, like as you might think in a typical free agency market, it seems like he'll be able to kind of pick his destination um, because Brooklyn would want to get something back in return for him via sign and trade or opt in and trade, whatever, whatever you want to term it. But uh, as opposed to Harden, even if he did opt in, I, we, we've seen plenty of stars to this point, just lay the roadmap for, Hey, I'm not happy here. I'm going to opt in or, and, and then I'm just going to demand the trade. Like it, it, it's a player empowerment era. Like, the team doesn't really have much to say about at this point. So from Brooklyn's perspective, if, if Harden says he wants to go somewhere else, then they'll probably be happy with what they can get in, via, via the trade. Um, for, for, if you're the Sixers, we're talking about a, a team that's 29 and 19 right now. Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate. We're going to talk about that later, but playing as, among, as well as anyone in the league right now. Can you afford in your mind to not move Ben Simmons and have this huge portion of your, your, your salary cap just taken up with a guy who's sitting at home and, and you're, you're not making a, 
a serious push if you're really this season if you're waiting till the summer like in your mind where where does that balance lay and and if you know you have an inch an interest in the sixers uh mm-hmm. do, do you feel that's warranted does, does the idea <laughs> of this going to the, the summer make you sick like what are your thoughts on that i wouldn't say it makes me sick i'll, I'll start there i i understand the frustration with potentially having $33 million and nothing to show for it this season. I think it all depends on what's on the table. And like, we still don't really know in terms of many concrete offers. Like we heard that, you know, CJ McCollum plus little or Simons plus a first round pick and like value wise, that's pretty good. You know, like that's better than I think going into the off season last year. I think a lot of people thought Ben for CJ straight up would be, fair value for both sides. And it sounds like other teams value Ben more than that. Um, I think for me, the swing piece at the deadline is, can you get off Tobias Harris contract as part of the Ben deal? Like Sam Amick um, of the athletic participated in a round table last week, where to be clear, he did not say this was on the table, but he just said, you know, salary wise, you could do Ben and Tobias for De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, and Buddy Heald. And he said, but the Sixers would want more than that. And I saw that offer and I'd be like, like, I know the Sixers are not crazy about De'Aaron Fox. They've made that very clear. They've, you know, leaked it to every reporter in Philadelphia at this point. But if you could get off of Tobias too, like I don't see Harrison Barnes being that big of a downgrade over Tobias. He's so much more movable too, because he's on, earning almost like half as much money as Tobias. Uh, So the the upgrade there might be worth it not getting quote unquote full value for Ben. If you don't consider Fox plus healed, you know, the exact return you want. I think Fox, even if it didn't work out in Philly, he's going to have value. You could move him elsewhere for a valuable piece. Maybe he could even be part of a hard, hard and sign and trade this summer, you know, like one of the big questions I think with the Harden stuff too is, you know, we don't know what the world is going to be like in July or in October. Like does New York still have this vaccine mandate in place? Does Kyrie continue to not want to be vaccinated? If that's the case, does Brooklyn, like Kyrie can also be a free agent this summer. Does Brooklyn want to re-sign Kyrie Irving knowing he's only going to be able to play in half the games next year if that mandate is still in place? So that, you know, I I think that's another subplot of this Harden stuff. But I I, like now seeing what's going on in Washington, like Bradley Beal seems like he might be starting to get frustrated again. Um, John Hollinger of The Athletic floated this idea the other day that, you know, part of Damian Lillard's hesitation um of not wanting to leave Portland like he might not want to leave them high and dry but now that Anthony Simons is breaking out like this does he become more amenable to a move this summer so like I think there's going to be more upside in waiting but there is inherent risk in that because there's no guarantee that you get one of these guys and like what if you wind up settling for a package that you could have gotten at the trade deadline so it's you just have to balance the risk versus reward there. And without knowing the details of what has been offered to the Sixers, you know, if it's just like, I, I there was like John Collins, Cam Reddish in a first for Ben Simmons. This was one of the things I think Mark Stein mentioned that that was a, a recent possibility. 
And like, again, pretty good value for Ben, but how does John Collins and Tobias Harris work together? And not that you should really, like John Collins and Abia, I think would work great, but I don't think you're solving all of the problems that are plaguing this team. So unless you can find that bridge move, like if it's Tyrese Halliburton and Harrison Barnes on the table for Ben, I would do that. And I would say, you know, if the Harden thing is real, figure it out later. But without knowing are those types of offers on the table, what, you know, the Kings are telegraphing that they are not right now. I, I would be inclined to, you know, follow Maury's instinct here. And that's the one other thing I will say, because all of us have been playing our armchair GM for months, myself included. Daryl Maury knows a lot more than we do, right? Like he's the one fielding these offers. He, based on multiple reports, he has a, a pretty close line to James Harden's camp in particular. Yep. So yeah, like, he, he knows them. He's got Michael Rubin, who's kind of an inside guy with, and, and close to Harden. Uh, you know, Meek Mill's at the game tonight. <laughs> right, he's, right, he's, right. he's probably talking to Harden. Uh, like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's some uh, not quite tampering, but tampering going on. Right. And, and Daryl's also kind of been through similar situations like this before. Like you mentioned in the piece that he did the opt-in and trade with Chris Paul back in 2017. So he kind of knows how to navigate these situations, uh, obviously better than any of us here at home. And you just kind of have to trust that he knows what he's doing in the long run. And that if you are frustrated come February 11th, maybe he knows something that you don't and come the summer, it'll all work itself out. But uh, yeah, it's, it it would be a tough pill to swallow if this plus like a couple bench wings or something is, is what they roll out. Uh, for the rest of the season, because yeah. it, it just seems a shame with a, as wide open as, as things appear to be in the East and as well as Joel is playing, like you always, you always want to put your best foot forward if, if, if you're in this kind of situation. Um, but you brought up a lot of the, the other possible Ben destinations. So probably a good time to pivot to those. Um, you mentioned that the, the Collins centerpiece deal out of Atlanta where it seemed to fall apart because the Sixers wanted to include Tobias and the, the Hawks were not willing to do that. Um, the Kings are probably the, the number one most rumored Ben destination. They've reportedly been willing to include Tobias as part of a, a, a Ben deal to take both Ben and Tobias, but then they, they don't want to give up anything of what would be considered premium value if they do that. Um, so Daryl's trying to either he's trying to get rid of these owners contracts while getting a, a good young player in return. And teams are seem to be willing to do one or the other. Um, if, if he does include Tobias in a deal, if he is successful in doing that, how, how much just kind of lay out how much that helps the Sixers, you know, maybe does that like open new doors as far as like it makes the Harden thing that much easier or, or is that, is, is it more just a year or two down the line? Your, your cap sheet just looks so much cleaner that uh, just every move would be easier. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. I think um, depending of course, who they got back for Tobias, like whether it's, you know, if it's a King's deal, like is Marvin Bagley coming back and is that just 11 or $12 million coming off of your books this summer or is it, 
Heald and Barnes and Fox, who are all under long-term deals, but they're smaller contracts, so it's easier to move them. Like I wrote about Tobias earlier this month at Forbes, and you know he's playing playing better as of late. Like yeah. I have nothing against Tobias Harris as a player, like <laughs> devoid of the contract context. It's just when you put the contract in there, he is one of the 15 highest played players in basketball. Yeah. Every single guy ahead of him has made at least five all-star appearances. He, you know, played at an all-star caliber level last year. He's been struggling some this year. I think the absence of Ben has contributed to that, but he was just never going to live up to this contract. I think there is a fair argument outside of John Wall and Russell Westbrook. He might have the worst contract in the league. Like Julius Randle might be threatening him soon, but you know, he he's up there for sure. So I, I think the fact that the Sixers are trying to offload him and are struggling to find a taker seems to suggest that he is limiting their flexibility moving forward. Um, so that is part of the reason where I would be willing to settle for a little bit less in a Ben deal. If Tobias is also going out knowing that, okay, maybe he does open more doors either this off season or next off season, if he's gone, like, you know, you have smaller contracts, so you could still make money work for James Harden and, and opt in and trade, sign and trade, whatever. Uh, Marty Teller, uh, who is a, also a Sixers cap nerd like myself, you know, ran through a scenario last night where you can do a King's deal as a precursor to just carving out enough cap space to sign Harden outright. Um, Cause I think, you know, there is some fear among Sixers folks right now, just like Sixers Twitter. Not, I don't know how the organization feels, um, but like, you know, right now there are three teams projected to have cap space this summer. So if James Harden tells Brooklyn he wants out, they could call his bluff and be like, all right, go sign with Detroit or San Antonio. Cause those are the only teams that could actually even come close to affording you. Uh, so like do the Sixers at least need the credible threat of carving out enough cap space to sign him. If they do, they would effectively need to salary dump Ben and Tobias. So you know, getting off of those guys now, bringing in some smaller contracts. Like I think it's easier to salary dump uh, Harrison Barnes on a $20 million deal than it is Tobias on 35, 37. For sure. There's probably a third of the teams in the league would be happy to, would probably give you something for Barnes because he's, he's a valuable guy that can play next to anyone and, and fit into a lot of different lineups and schemes and just, just a really fungible player. Um, from Harden's perspective, I know we talked about the sign and trade versus the opt-in and trade. Does he make the same amount of money just signing outright as a free agent, or is there like where where does that stand from his financial perspective? So he can, yeah, for sign and trade versus signing outright, he can make the same amount of money. Um, it, again, it's four years, uh, about two hundred million, like a hundred thousand more, I think, with any other team five years about 270 million with Brooklyn and then again the, the opt-in and trade route he goes about five million above that so slightly less than five years 275 million okay so he's perfectly happy to if the sixers were to carve out enough cap space to just just sign out right and just wave goodbye to Brooklyn um yeah it it, it seems like it, it all makes sense on paper but then you're, for three months or four, three to four months, you're just 
you know, hoping for the best. And right, like right. Joel Embiid's <laughs> dropping 35 and 13 every night. And he, he has to do it because the supporting cast isn't, isn't good enough to, to help him if he doesn't have a, a supremely excellent night. Um, and yeah, Tobias, he's a good NBA player, but the, the problem is that he's being paid like he needs to be the second best player on a contender. And he's not, he's a fourth best player potentially. So that, that just really limits what you're able to do. Um, so getting off of that and creating more flexibility, that, that, all, that all makes sense. It's just that, that that interim period between when free agency would begin the summer and after the trade deadline where, I don't know, I feel like things could really go south from like a, an emotional perspective with this franchise if, if something wasn't done. Um, it, it does seem like how we mentioned Halliburton with the Kings. It seems like he's the, like the guy in the way that Tyrese Maxey was the guy for Sixers fans uh, in the, the 2020 draft. Like everyone was hoping Maxey would fall to them and then he did. And it was, we had a mini parade in the, <laughs> in the zoom and everyone was thrilled that that happened. So I feel like that's like the, the realistic best case scenario for, from a Sixers perspective right now. Um, do you agree with that? And what else would, what other deals that have been rumored and or bandied about from, you know, either Sacramento or Atlanta or some teams that have been on the periphery, like Indiana or San Antonio, what, what of those would be deals that you would think would be fair value from a Sixers perspective and that you would do if you were in Daryl's chair? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree that Halliburton seems like, I don't even know if he's realistic, but if he is, he would be the most realistic grand prize. I mean, Daryl effectively telegraphed as much in that interview last week where he's like, oh, well, we would take a top 40 player, but also a young guy with a lot of upside, like a Tyrese Maxey. And it's like, all right, what other player named Tyrese? Yeah. Right. Is this? Like, like Tyrese Maxey, of course. <laughs> right. what, other, what other one could I be talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I'm honestly shocked he hasn't got, like, he, he did a masterful job dodging a tampering fine, or at least, like, the NBA hasn't announced it yet because I, I thought – he was <laughs> where he's yeah. like, oh yeah, there are definitely some Kings traits that would work for us. It's like, yeah. all right, Daryl, damn. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Kings, like, what are the Kings doing? Like, I've been making They're losing by 35 every night. I can I know that much. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know Darren Fox has been out for these last couple, but like, God, you're 14 games under 500, 50 games into the season. You haven't made the playoffs in 15 years. Like maybe that's just a sign that this core isn't going to work. I'm not saying that Ben Simmons necessarily is the answer to them, but like they've got to do something like this is just not it. The fans seem totally checked out. Um, I, there's a guy who writes for the Kings Herald, who's now donating $10 to charity for every Kings loss for the rest of the season. I'm like, dude, that could get expensive. <laughs> like, I, I hope you're ready yeah. to cash least, out like 200 At least it's going to a good cause, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was, his thought was at least I'm not paying for tickets to watch this terrible team. Um, so yeah, I think the Kings, it does seem like they have some sense of urgency to shake something up. Um, you know, whether it's Ben or like, true, they try to do a Fox DeMontis Sabonis trade with Indiana that I don't know and again it comes down to Daryl's asking price like if he's asking you know Tyrese and Fox and Barnes and Heald and three first round picks like I, I don't blame the Kings for saying no but if he drops it to like 
Tyrese Barnes and a pick or two, or like a pick and a pick swap, then it is just malpractice for the Kings to not have said yes to this deal. Cause for all of Ben's limitations in the playoffs that we've become very familiar with over the last couple of years, he's a great regular season player when, you know, like he, in the playoffs, it grinds to the half court more and teams can really harp in on his weaknesses, but in the regular season, like you don't have time to game plan for every specific team or like every player's tendencies, you're going to get out and transition more. And a team, like if the Sixers don't want the Aaron Fox, a team with Fox and Simmons, the, the spacing might be cramped, but damn, that's going to be just play, you know, have the fastest pace in the league. And you're going to get a ton of points like that. You're just going to be more fun to watch. It'll be something different other than just getting blasted and having one of the worst defenses in the league. Like I, I think he could help, fix a a lot of the issues that are plaguing them and you know the Kings again it's a 15 year streak of not even making the playoffs like they can pretend like they care about winning championships but all they care about is getting the eighth seed which is great that's perfect for not not even I think they'd be happy with the 10 the 10 seed and get into the play-in tournament or something yeah And, and like all right cool and Ben Simmons could just go do that and then get knocked out in the first round and that's that's fine like it's it's the best for both parties. So I would hope that reasonable minds in the next two weeks realize like we can't keep doing what we're doing here, but I don't get that, that, I mean, I don't know. Well, like at this time of year, everyone is lying. So, and like, you know, you're getting conflicting leaks. Like all of last week, it was the Kings are trying to move De'Aaron Fox for all these different guys. And then all of a sudden Shams comes out and it's like, Oh no, they're going to build around him. It's like, um, okay are they really or like did they just get rebuffed from enough teams that now they're trying to do damage control yeah i mean we saw what happened with ben last year like that that's what kind of started this whole snowball into what where we are now like he was apparently just pissed he got included in james harden trade rumors so you know does darren fox feel the same if he's included for ben or sabonis um in terms of other deals like Atlanta has the salaries to do something and it like, they feel like they're primed for a consolidation deal. I know they've actually been playing better. Uh, I think they're five and two now since they traded Cam Reddish, which is just addition by subtraction. It seems Cam Reddish um, who the Knicks traded for and haven't even been playing. He's been getting DMPs. It, it just, it, it boggles the mind. It's, yeah. That's, that's tips for you. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think, uh, Danilo Gallinari is the one guy there, not necessarily from the Sixers perspective that I keep an eye on, but just overall trade deadline, only $5 million of his salary next year. He's earning 21.5, uh, only 5 million of that is guaranteed. So if they move him now, uh, I think he's earning like 20.5 this year. Um, they get, they can use the full 20.5 as matching salary as part of a bigger deal. If they trade him this summer, he only counts as $5 million unless uh, they fully guarantee his contract or his next team does. So, you know, you're not getting the potential $16 million of cap savings um, that you would if, if you move him this year. Uh, you know, Bogdanovich, Collins, like there were the reports coming out recently um, that he just doesn't seem happy with his role. They, you know, he gets the five-year $125 million contract extension and he thinks like, all right, they've committed to me. I'm a, I'm a key piece of this franchise and it's still just the Trey Young show and Collins is, 
you know, putting up numbers similar to what he did last year, but I think he expected a bigger role or them to just use him differently. Um, Jake Fisher today reported, you know, he is very available. I think Jake mentioned it was just like a, an actual first round pick. So not like a top 20 protected one, but you know, a, a, a first round pick and a young player, I, I think was the asking price here. So Again, I don't know if there's a Ben deal to be made unless Tobias is going elsewhere, but it seems like he's potentially on the move. Um, I know Jeremy Grant got mentioned, uh, former process legend Jeremy Grant. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that one because you know Jake reported recently he wants to go to a team where he's still like one of the primary offensive focal points and he's eligible for a four-year $112 million extension this summer. And he wants the full thing. Mm, yeah. That's why he went to Detroit. He had the opportunity to return to Denver, but he wanted to go where he'd be a, a top one or two scoring option on his team. Whereas in Denver, he would have been like the fourth or fifth option and just been asked to do the little things on defense and be an energy guy. And that's not what he wanted. And that's what he would be in Philadelphia. So that's, I don't think he'd be happy here. That's so that's, that's not a guy I would, I would want to target. Yeah. And I, I want to shout out Rob Mahoney of the ringer. Cause he actually wrote a great feature today on Seth Curry. Um, and Seth has just embraced that. He's like, I'm not going to be a 10 time all-star. Like I'm not going to get 30 shots a game. Like my brother, like James Harden. So I'm going to just maximize my ability in my role. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to fault Jeremy because he last season did things that I don't think any of us really would have expected out of him based on his first five or six years in the league. But at the same time, like, I think there is a ceiling to your team. If you are paying Jeremy Grant $30 million a year and you, he ha- you have him as one of your primary offensive options. So you know, like his aspirations versus how to best maximize him in the NBA do not appear to be in line. So that's one I'd stay away from. The Pacers stuff just always confused me. Like once Brogdon was off the table because they signed him to the extension, like that was the most desirable piece. I think if you're, you know, like Sabonis is their best player, but like Brogdon's the guy who would have fit the best with the Sixers. So Yeah, the, they're none of the other, the big, like, their other best assets are big men and obviously they don't fit with Embiid really. So yeah, that the, they would, they, whenever they get brought up, I'm like, well, that could be a three team. Like, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm we glad they're, I'm glad numbers. they're interested. Like it's always good to have more parties interested in Ben Simmons. Cause that only helps from a leverage perspective if you're Philadelphia, but yeah, they, they don't seem like an ideal one for one partner. Yeah. And then, you know, I think if the Sixers wanted Darius Garland from Cleveland or DeJounte Murray from San Antonio, they needed to act on it before the season. I yeah, think the window the, probably closed on both of those guys. Yep. The the off last off season was the time before they both made their respective leaps. And, you know, Murray is getting a lot of all-star buzz. Uh, we'll see if he makes it as a reserve. Uh, it's a long shot because just San Antonio's lack of wins but uh he's getting triple doubles nearly every night and playing really well and then garland and mobley looks like they're the cornerstones of the caps franchise for years to come now so he's pretty much untouchable um but yeah it the with getting back to sacramento i they can say what they want i feel like if the sixers offered simmons and tobias for fox they would do that 
and, and you know, the, the other matching parks to make the salaries work. Um, because I, I definitely feel like they're ready to move on from Fox. They've, they've transitioned to Halliburton into the primary ball handler playmaker role with, you know, I, I, I've, I've equated in my mind to like a, a Garland Sexton thing where Garland became the point and Sexton was just like, okay, you can be the, the scorer guy. And Fox mm-hmm. is just the scorer guy for them now. So they, they've already kind of wrapped their mind around. He's not your, your PG one anymore. Um, so, and, and Tobias for them isn't really a negative asset because they're not worried about how our cap sheet looks in three years. They're, right. they're just looking at it as, well, well, Tobias is an above average NBA player. Like he'll help us win games because he's better than Marvin Bagley. So that, right. that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's all they really care about. So they get Ben and Tobias who in their minds will help them win games and get the, the nine or the 10 seed or whatever. And Fox, who doesn't seem like he's, a great fit if you're building around Halliburton, um, then that, that's that's all a win for them. Uh, so I, I feel like they would definitely do that. And the Sixers just, as you said, they just don't like Fox at all. And it's very easy to see why when you you look at a graphic like came out today and made the rounds on Twitter where Seth Curry oh, yeah. is the most efficient jump shooter <laughs> in the league. And then you look over at the five worst and De'Aaron Fox was listed there. So that's kind of the the last type of player you want around Joel Embiid, you need guys that are going to be efficiently hitting those shots off of his double teams and his post-ups and everything else. Uh, so if, yeah, Fox, unless you get a team like, I don't know, Indiana or New York or someone, some other third team that says, Oh, we actually do really want Fox and you can, you can work it so that they take him. Like he's just not a fit in Philadelphia. So yeah. he, I don't, I don't feel, feel like he would greatly benefit them this season like if you lose Tobias and get Fox and Ben's not playing for you either way that's that's kind of a wash so I don't I don't think having Fox over Tobias really helps you that much this season and then in the summer you're kind of stuck with like oh well everyone knows you want to trade Fox so your leverage isn't good and he's not a good fit on your roster so keeping him long term isn't really a great option you're kind of in a similar situation to what you're in with Ben now so I, I don't. I don't feel like that's the route. I don't. I don't feel like you just settle for Fox just to get off of Tobias's contract. Um, but yeah, we'll see because that is it is enticing to get that long term cap space uh, if you are able to move Ben and Tobias. But yeah, it, it <laughs> Halliburton would just be such a perfect fit uh, yeah. for 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 yeah. both what he can help them on the court, like long term. If you want to keep him, the the ceiling would be great. But also, like that allows you to have the step up trade where, Hey, you still have this really enticing piece. If you do want to do a sign and trade with Harden or another, like a Beal or whoever else that becomes available, like you still have this great trade asset. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, holding out hope, but I, <laughs> it, it does seem like Sacramento is kind of drawing the line on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. What would kill me would be if they were willing to do Halliburton, but, Daryl said, no, you have to take Tobias. And they said, we're not, we're not giving up Halliburton and taking Tobias. And, and right. Daryl, like Daryl did a weird, like he backed away or something. I, I feel like if you just do Halliburton for Simmons straight up, I feel like that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't, you don't even need like the three picks and swaps and everything else. Right. Just get that done. Um, all right. Uh, so that, that's kind of where we're at the Ben Simmons situation. We're going to talk about what else the Sixers could do with the trade deadline. But first let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and we're back. So, Brian, uh, we we talked to the Ben situation into the ground. Um, we're we're going to continue doing that as a Sixers <laughs> Twitterati for the next two weeks. Um, but you know, they they could do other things at the trade deadline uh, if they do opt to to hold Ben and uh, see what can transpire in the summer. I don't think it would be completely sitting on their hands. I, I think they would make a, a, some small moves here or there. Um, in your mind, what what else is available? Like what what, what could they do on, in, on the market in the trade landscape? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because Daryl, you know, Mike Missinelli uh, asked him that, you know, even if we don't trade Ben, like, do you have any other tricks up your sleeve with the deadline? And he's like, yeah, I got a pretty good track record of making some changes. Um, you know, it's tough though, because like, Ben, Tobias, and Joel are all 30 million plus. Danny is $10 million. Seth Curry is 8 million. And then Ferk is the next highest paid player at 4.6. So if you're willing to move Danny, that could be your one non-Ben chip to dangle and maybe get some, you know, a, a decently high paid player back. But otherwise it's really tough to assemble the salaries to get anyone of like high impact uh, back in a trade. So like Danny just by default would be similar to how like Taylor Horton Tucker with the Lakers is like the guy you just have to <laughs> include in any <laughs> trades. Cause they're like, he's the only one who fits. Um, and again, you know, if the, the complication and this is it, it all always will come back to the Ben stuff. Uh, with Harden, if if he really is insisting on becoming a free agent and like doesn't want to do this opt-in and trade route, which doesn't make sense, and his agent should not let him do it, but let's let's just say you know screw it, he wants to like he doesn't want to go behind the scenes and get tampered with and you know concoct some grand scheme in May and June, like he wants to go have the the dinners at Nobu at you know July first, whatever. Um, 
again, like you have to get off of Danny Green's salary off of that 10 million to make enough room to stay under the apron. So if you're moving Danny Green and you aren't moving Ben Simmons and you think you might have to do a sign and trade for James Harden, the guy you're getting back for Danny Green either needs to be on an expiring contract or you need to be very confident that you could move off of him and dump him in the cap space somewhere else, you know, attach Jaden Springer or a pick, whatever, whatever you need to, to get off of him. So I honestly wouldn't be shocked if they stand relatively pat, like if they don't trade Ben, I think there's just so much uncertainty in terms of, do we need to save, you know, do we need to keep some of these contracts um, for salary matching as part of a Harden deal or like for Danny, do we need to keep him just to be able to get off of him completely? Um, I think his guarantee date is, it might be July 1st, if memory serves correctly, but like they can always renegotiate that. Yeah, it is July 1st. So yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if if Harden does want to do the whole wine and dine thing, like they can always mutually agree, like let's push that deadline back a week, whatever. Um, I will say they are, I'm looking at Spotrack right now and I don't know, like Nate and Danny might have slightly different numbers, but they are $6.3 million over the luxury tax line as well. I you just have to wonder if they aren't doing a Ben deal, maybe they do look to move Danny and, and work work Maz, And maybe that's their way to get under the tax line as well. Um, you probably don't do that deal unless Jake Milton is healthy since Ferk is effectively the backup point guard right now, but that's probably the other big consideration. Like I don't think George Nyang is going anywhere. I don't think Matisse is going anywhere. Obviously Tyrese is not. Drummond's not like maybe they shed Paul Reed potentially uh, or Isaiah Joe who are on, you know, $1.5 million contracts each. So maybe they're a smaller deal. Maybe you do like Joe and Korkmaz and I don't know that's going to get you close to under the tax. I don't think that alone does, but that I'm going to write about that at uh, Forbes probably next week as well. Like I think, of the non-Ben storylines to watch, it's not necessarily like, are they going to bring in an upgrade? It's, are they going to try to duck the tax? Hmm. I, I feel like the fan base might revolt openly. <laughs> if not only does a Ben trade not happen, but they shed pieces to save Josh Harris and company some, some tax money. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't, I don't think things will be pretty. They might be uh, the protesters from the, the Ben Simmons practice sessions might <laughs> might return to camden if, if that actually happened um yeah it is it is tough because they don't have those kind of tradable contracts um danny is kind of the, the really the only one and i, I don't I, I value what danny brings to the team but i don't have a problem trading him because i, I just don't feel confident in his ability to stay healthy like mm-hmm. we, we saw he missed the atlanta series last playoffs um he's got this lingering hip thing this year it just, it just feels like he's at a point in his career where stuff is happening like that with his lower lower body and i i, I just I, i'd be fine getting another player in his kind of wing reserve role especially with matisse playing a lot better lately i i feel like he has fit really great with the starters so you, you can have him slot in there and then someone can replace Danny as like your bench wing. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin holiday was a guy that 
I was kind of looking at because his name was making the rounds of someone Pacers were making available for just a couple second round picks, mm-hmm. which is super affordable as uh, in terms of what they're looking for in a trade. But again, like he's $6 million. Yeah. So what are you trading? Are, are, is he that much of an upgrade over Cork Moss where, where you want to do like a Cork Moss for holiday swap? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like he's that much better. And, and Cork Moss does a little bit more as like a, He's filling in as the backup point right now, like you said. So he does a little more more at the ball in his hands. Like that's a valuable thing to have, even though Holiday's probably at least more consistent as an outside shooter and uh, a little a little long like longer and rangier defensively. But um, yeah, it's there, there's not really good options. Um, it takes me back to when they had the Al Horford trade exception and they didn't yes. do anything with it. Yeah. Like, hey, that would be nice to just have like another guy on eight, an $8 million deal <laughs> just laying around that you could piece together. Um, it, like a few years back when they didn't, they didn't resign TJ and yeah. everyone's like, well, yeah. you just have, you just have that contract on the books. Like he's a valuable bench guy. And that's a, that's a usable trade piece. It just, it doesn't seem like they've really focused on having those mid range contracts. And maybe it's just because they have these three, uh, max or near max guys and they're just like well we, we need to figure out what to do with the rest of the roster just to get a team out there because right. we, we don't have a lot of flexibility but uh, yeah a couple couple more deals like that um, would have been useful was was George Hills they could have brought him back and had his contract on an expiring right or am I mis- misremembering yeah, that I think he had a I don't remember the exact I want to say like 10 million dollar player option or like 9.5 million dollar player option that, that was a player decided. option so he opted out okay I know wait it might have been no it was a team option right? yeah 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 I think it, right sorry yeah um I don't remember the exact amount but yeah they could have brought him back and they just decided he was not that kind of money which, which you know given what he did last year I I understand it. It wasn't but, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. I think this is, we've seen this with these like big three teams. This is usually what leads to their downfall. Not necessarily their three main pieces not working or one of their three main pieces holding out the entire season. Doesn't but, help. No, uh, <laughs> but you know, depth just t- tends to wither away for these reasons, you either have to go really deep in the luxury tax to re-sign guys who you have bird rights on, or, you know, you've got your one taxpayer mid-level exception that you need to nail every year. And other than that, you're limited to minimum signing guys. And it just gets really, really hard to replace some of that depth. So like getting in a guy like Niang or even on Korkmaz, like getting him back on that three-year, $15 million deal. Like, you might be frustrated with Furk on Korkmaz this season, and I understand that, but he, he's one of their better trade assets right now. So, I like, yeah. I think they re-signed him, and I think, honestly, they probably re-signed Danny with a similar idea in mind. Like, if this Ben Simmons thing lingers, and if, you know, had Embiid continued playing how he did early in the season rather than the last two months, like, they might've been in full seller mode at the deadline trade Danny for, you know, whatever you can get, like any pick, whatever, and just duck the tax. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the green contract was amazing because yeah. not, not only was it maybe even slightly below market value, but they got the non-guaranteed second year, which 
we talked about with the hard and stuff like that's super useful to have that flexibility with that deal where you can include it if you want, or you can just, uh, cut, cut bait and, uh, it, there's no money on the books. Um, yeah, so that was great. And yeah, quirk must, you know, up and down season been super frustrating at times, but aside from guys on rookie deals, you're not getting a better player at $5 million in the NBA right now. So like terrific deal. Um, yeah, they, they, they did a good job with those two, uh, past off season for sure. All right. So that, I think that can wrap up our, our trade deadline talk. Um, last thing I wanted to hit on before I let you go, Brian was Joel Embiid's recent stretch of play where in the past month, he's gone from probably sixth or seventh in the MVP odds or and the MVP ladder or whatever you want to call it to, uh, day or two ago, he actually is now tied with Giannis for the highest MVP odds, um, depending on, and that was on DraftKings. So depending on what sports book you're looking at, he's some, he's still listed with the third highest odds, um, but top, pretty much top three across the board. And as Philadelphia fans were of course, fully on board with the Joel for MVP, like he went from scoring 30 every night to scoring 40 every night and just <laughs> making it look as casual as can be. Um, he he had a what would be deemed a really poor game for him against the Lakers, but yeah, it still ended up with 26, 9, and 7. And <laughs> it was because the Lakers were throwing double teams at him the instant he was even thinking of receiving a pass that uh, the Sixers you know, hit 13 threes. They had a lot of open looks out of that. He was doing a good job distributing the ball. Um, and some of his misses were just Anthony Davis channeling his peak defensive player of the year candidate mode out of nowhere, where we haven't really seen much from that him in that regard this season. He, he kind of reminded people what he's capable of. So um, yeah, just that was, that was a poor game and it was still better than most players will have in, in their season. I, I think it right now it comes down to, you know, Jokic is obviously also playing tremendously well. He has all the advanced stats that favor him. And if it was Jokic again, I, I, I wouldn't have a counter argument. Um, do you think it's just those two at this point in the season? Where, where Where's your mind at with the MVP race at, at, at this stage? I actually just checked FanDuel. Embiid is now the favorite to win MVP. On oh, FanDuel as well? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Giannis is plus 300, Steph's plus 400, Jokic is plus 460, and then John Morant is at plus 1500. So I, I think it's a four-man race and honestly probably a three-man race because Steph has been in such a slump lately. You know, who knows how long Draymond's going to be out. I think that's going to affect, you know, the looks that Steph gets, but also the Warriors' record. If they are, you know, like the Suns are now seem to be running away with that number one seed in the West. I think the team record was one of the big selling points for Steph early in the year. So I'm not saying he's out because he's Stephen Curry and I don't want to doubt him, but like, I think he's fourth right now in my mind. So it's Jokic and beat Giannis in some order. Um, Giannis, it's like, you know, I think team record is going to come into play for all of these guys right now. The Sixers are fifth, the Bucks are sixth in the East and then the Nuggets are sixth in the West. So if any of those teams really goes on a surge here in the next two months and like finishes the top three seed, that's going to help whichever candidate um, is on that team. Uh, you know, like, I just want to ask 
Sixers fans because I know like we love Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's probably without question since Iverson, my favorite player who's played on this team. And like we're moving into, I think I like him more than Iverson territory, which already feels sacrilegious. But like then I just watch this guy and he's absolutely effing incredible. I just also want to point out that Nuggets fans feel the exact same way about Nikola Jokic. So regardless of you know, we're at the midseason mark, like people are going to start doing their midseason awards. If someone has Jokic above Embiid, that's okay. Like we don't need to jump down their throats. And if you have Embiid over Jokic, I would ask the same thing of Nuggets fans. Like both guys are just really effing good. Both guys, it just sucks that, you know, the NBA is stupid and is going by positions on all of these, like all NBA, like Embiid and Jokic right now, both deserve to be first team All NBA. Yeah, and the all honest... the All NBA argument is going to be fierce when that comes. Ugh, it's just so dumb. Like they're two of the five best players in basketball. Just recognize <laughs> them as such. But as you mentioned, I mean Jokic right now, like you could pick apart these metrics however you want because there are flaws in them. But Jokic right now has the best PER of all time and the best box plus minus of all time, and I. I went on Twitter the other day and I asked some like stats oriented people like Seth Partnow and Adam Frommel, like, is this really the best season in NBA history? And people just aren't really talking about it as much as they should. Um, And the way they explain it to me is some of these stats are weighted such that you give more value. If like a center gets a lot of assists or if a point guard gets a lot of rebounds, because it's just so unexpected from someone in that position. So Jokic's style of play where he is a quote unquote center, but he is averaging, you know, whatever, like almost eight assists per game. He's like basically designed to break these metrics, much like I remember this was a thing in Russell Westbrook's MVP season a couple of years ago, where like he was just shattering all of these metrics. It was like, is he really this good or is this just a problem with the metric? But like, it so you're saying that- you're saying Russ won MVP because Steven Adams was really good at boxing out. Yeah, basically. Yeah. He's good at boxing out and conceding rebounds. Yes. Um, But like, it doesn't matter. Pick any advanced metric basically. And Jokic is still way ahead of everyone else. So I think even if there are flaws with any one individual metric, the fact that he is leading in basically all of them should tell you that, yes, he's having an incredible season as well. Um, And I think, you know, the, the arguments that have been used to downplay both Embiid and Jokic. Like I said this the other day, but like, you know, these guys finished one and two in the MVP race last year, and they both come back better this year. Like Jokic, this is his best defensive season. And that has been always the, you know, when you're comparing these two guys, like, oh, okay, well, what can he do on defense compared to Embiid? Like he's still, he's never going to be as dominant defensively as Joel Embiid, but he is better on that end. And then the counter argument for Embiid was, oh, well, Jokic is such a great passer and Embiid can't pass out of double teams. Well, we are seeing Embiid, especially in the absence of Ben Simmons, this is by far his best passing season. We are now seeing him like orchestrate the offense. I mean, there have been clips that have been going viral lately of him like pointing to spots on the floor, telling guys to switch sides because he knows what play is coming and like what his look is if he, you know, if the defense collapses on him, he's going to kick out to the weak side or like I, there was a play tonight where he is just pointing at the floor and telling George and Yak just effing stay there. I'm going to post up. They're going to send the double. I'm going to kick it out to you. You're going to hit a three. 
They happened with Tobias the other night as well. So like both of these guys have gotten better at their weak spots. And I have no problem with who, you know, going with either one. I think I, I just, I don't think anyone should have this guy is definitely the MVP and nothing could change. Cause like so much could change over the next 35 games. And it's awesome that we're just seeing these two battle it out again, despite the vitriol from the respective fan bases. And despite the death of the center position. Yeah. So, right. and, and now the, the, the best two players in the game are both, uh, not only playing center, but also these huge, enormous seven footers that are that are out there and doing things you would never expect a man that size to be able to do. Um, yeah, they're both they're both incredible, and you, you kind of illustrated what, what makes it really interesting this year is is that they improved in what the other the others area of strength was. So Jokic was this tremendous passer. Joel's not nearly the passer that Jokic is, but he's gotten a lot better, as you said. And he's now like leading fast breaks. He's doing these grab and goes. He has one, one every game. It seems like where he goes coast to coast and just, he he's kind of assumed that Ben role as this, this guy that can do it all with the ball in his hands. And then Jokic has gotten a lot better on the defensive end. So they're just becoming these fully formed, well-rounded guys with like, neither has like a significant hole in their game anymore. It's just really incredible to watch. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to come down to if they stay healthy yeah, and team success. So yeah. if, if one of them surges uh, and it finishes top three in their perspective, respective conference, that that's probably going to swing it because they're both going to have the stats. They're going to have the, the narratives behind them. Jokic, carrying a team that doesn't have Jamal Murray um, and and be doing it without Ben Simmons. So they, they both have that going, the narrative going for them and the production is there. Like you, you're splitting hairs when you're looking at these metrics or wh- whatever, like they're, they're both just really good. So <laughs> yeah. as you said, enjoy it and uh, try not to uh, get down people's throats too much. Arguing the case. <laughs> right. I will say like, I hope, just for anything like all-star awards, all NBA, we should not hold COVID absences against any player just because like half the freaking league got COVID. Yeah. I can't see anyone doing that. Yeah. But you know, like that was it. That was a thing last year with games played. I know Embiid wasn't all uh, uh, COVID absences, but like you have to just remember that context. If we start doing, Oh, he's played 200 more minutes or he's played X number of games more. Like, Embiid missed, I think, one game so far or two games so far for a non-COVID reason, and the rest was yeah. was COVID. So, yep. um, but I will say, like, going back to you know, are they going to trade Ben? Or are they not? It's looking, you know, Daryl said it's like less likely than likely that they trade him. So the reinforcements that we hope are coming at some point might not come until the off season. And Jamal Murray is going to come back at some point this year for the Nuggets. It sounds like he might return around the all-star break even. And, you know, Woj said there, there's some optimism that Michael Porter Jr. might return for the Nuggets this year as well. So if the Sixers don't get those reinforcements, the Nuggets do, the Sixers schedule over uh, February and March is actually pretty tough. I think they yeah. have the sixth toughest strength of schedule remaining. So like that could wind up being one of the swing pieces. Like if Denver 
moves up to the four seed in the West even. I think that's probably the ceiling at this point. And the Sixers finish sixth or even in the play-in, God forbid. Like then I think it probably swings to Jokic. So like if I if I had to put money based on you know what the current odds are and where I think I could get the most bang for the buck, I would reluctantly put it on Jokic. But I honestly hope I I would hope I lose all that money. Like I want Joel Embiid to win MVP. Yeah. The, the fact that Jokic is like fourth in a lot of these books, so it just doesn't make any sense. So you're right yeah. that, that, that that's definitely in the value play. Um, whereas a month ago, or even, even two weeks ago, Embiid was fourth or fifth, even though he had started his surge. And, that, and then that was where the value was, but he's finally caught up. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be fun. Um, hopefully they, they both stay healthy and we get to see them battle it out for the entire season. It's going to be great to watch. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for, for joining the pod again. And for everyone that hasn't read his piece this week's uh, on the Harden situation, please check that out at Forbes. Um, what else do you have out there that, and where can people find you on the, uh, on the internet, Brian? Yeah, you can find me at B on Twitter, B T O P O R E K. I'll have a lot more stuff coming at Forbes. I'm going to write about the MVP stuff probably next week. As I mentioned, I'll write, about the luxury tax ramifications for the trade deadline. Uh, you know, God willing, I'll be writing some Ben Simmons trade analysis in the next two weeks. Or we we all have it in draft. We're yeah, waiting. I know. <laughs> or it's gonna be five more months of James Harden speculation. Oh, no. So I uh I just hope I urge everyone out there to just like try to unplug as much as possible from all this because like nothing's gonna happen for the next week and a half realistically. Like it's it's if it's going to happen, it's going to happen right up near the deadline, like that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So, you know, we, we can enjoy the steady trickle of trade rumors, but try not to get too worked up over it either way. And like, just try to enjoy Joel Embiid in the meantime. Definitely enjoy Joel Embiid. I, I got to disagree with you on the unplug. Um, every, everyone <laughs> should be on libertyballers.com every day. That's true. When, That's we, true. when we post about every everything that gets posted <laughs> on Twitter, the, the daily the daily Ben Simmons watch, we need we need the page views, oh, Brian. So, uh, all right. Well, thank you for, for coming on again. And um, I, I, hope we, I hope to have you on again in the future to talk about a Ben trade. Um, Please, I, at I some don't... point. <laughs> in in 2022 and, and right. not in the su- not the summer. So oh god. Yeah. Uh, it, that's when we really tilt. Like if we get to the start of the 2022-23 season and then Ben Simmons is still on the team, then then we can bring the pitchforks out. Harden decides to stay and Daryl <laughs> Daryl shifts to, to Lillard and he really feels like Lillard will go by the by summer 2023. Yeah. That's 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 when we start burning the city edition jerseys as, as right. beautiful as they are. Well, that's what all the Ponzi scheme jokes about Sam Hinkie. What if it was really Daryl Morey pulling the Ben Simmons pin? Yeah, you know, he he was the teacher. So, yeah. All right. Well, Brian, appreciate you coming on. Um, everyone else out there, continue to enjoy Joel Embiid. I will talk to you next week on the Talking About podcast. Take care, everyone. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment 
combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.